0: I spoke with um, Albert Kitcher yesterday. I mean, you heard the, the audio. Albert is in Ukraine, and um, he's not even too certain whether he would be able to reconnect with his family, who has crossed over the Romanian border. For a couple of days, he was out of touch with his family. Imagine you send your wife and your kids off to safety, and um, you can't get through on your cell phones. Uh, you call family, friends, everyone to determine whether they are safe. And then, several days thereafter, you get a phone call just for you to be assured that they're safe. The trauma between their leaving and he getting a phone call, I think, has to be, I mean, Herculean. Yes. But um, the pain is realer when he talks about people in their bunkers or in their basements with just limited supply of food that could run out anytime soon when members of your own church people that you knew you worked with and you built and they are on the battlefront and they are not too certain whether they will return home to their families either it is a painful situation and you know the thing that can really confronted me is that being caused by me or a microphone or something bill Would it be this? Take it off. Is this off? Oh yeah, cool. Thanks. Let me. (laughs) Yeah, one of the things that really, really, um, you know, when you read things like this and you interact with stuff like these, you suddenly realize how petty your own concerns are. Here you are, I mean, worrying and stressing over a few pennies per se, and um, people's lives. Uh, basically, um, almost like they don't even know if they're going to live tomorrow. When Albert said, I'll see you on the other side, that, is, that doesn't mean on the other side of Ukraine or the borders. That reminded me of a friend of mine out in Indonesia years ago. He would tell me that, he said every time he kisses his wife goodbye, he literally kissed her goodbye. <laughs> because he did not know whether he would be back home at the end of that day. And it became almost part of their own rhythm. That when he kissed her goodbye on his way to work each day, it was like him saying, if you don't see me, if I'm executed, if I'm killed, I love you. That's where real life is at. Huh? And we allow the cushy, comfortable life on this side to discombobulate some of our own God perspective. And um, it's a real issue my response but after having a talk with him my response i'm going to read read to you a text message i sent him um just so that you could understand um, so that but i'm extremely appreciative for this update the world is praying for ukraine and if anything this situation has aroused the church to pray in ways that we've never seen before god will bring this situation to an end Stay safe, Albert. Handle handle your responsibilities with extreme care. Once this matter is settled, we will continue to pray and we would think of systems and ways to mobilize those who are scattered. Keep strong, Albert. I said it again. At the moment, we wish we could do more than pray. But when the air is clear, and we could send support that is specific to you and your people, we will act with expediency. are. these are real issues guys and um, when I say we'll act with expediency whether one of you or two of you give or don't give that has I commit myself to do this once the time is clear and we can send support to you we will act with expediency and I hold to that um I want encourage you all again to read this. I mean, these things are written with a great degree of consideration and I think that I love the way John walked through this this morning because we try to package so much information in one page. And um, on this particular cross here, it's a lot longer. And so I had to reduce the fonts in order to get more content in. But um, please. Don't treat this as an arbitrary document that you treat and that you read and discard it. It has so much content in there, It has so much meaningful, relevant stuff inside of there. Um, I find that I mean, I write these things, and I'm sometimes I'm amazed at the content myself. I, I, I kid you not; I'm really serious. I sometimes am amazed at the content. I mean, I read this this morning, and a house of prayer is not necessarily replaced by prayerlessness; it is swallowed up by spiritual recklessness. Prayerlessness is not just the absence of praying. It can easily be the regularity of prayer, but inner Babylonian dispositions mixed with religious posturing ultimately invalidate both the power and the importance of our prayer. And the reason why we have those principles there, hear what Jesus said on one occasion. He said, if you have ought with your brother and you are going to bring a sacrifice to me forget the sacrifice in other words that sacrifice means nothing if you and your brother are at fault that is the principle that this entire article is talking about we can get into the religious habit of praying not realizing that there are so many internal issues that invalidate our prayer that all we are doing is doing a religious exercise jesus himself said that he said you have issues with your brother leave your gift by the altar. It is a waste of time. I won't even listen to it because it has other issues that make your prayer important and critical. When Jeremiah said, you made this house a den of thieves, he was talking about pertinent issues, internal stuff left unchecked will only reduce your prayer to a religious exercise that has no meaning. God it responding. He's paying no attention to it. He is listening in another direction, and that's the point of this cross here this morning, right? So, hold that and listen. Uh, This morning I wanted to give a review, but I'm going to bypass that review. Bill, thanks. We won't um, do the review. Good morning. morning. Hey, what's up? You kind of, kind of strolling in there like a young thing, and just kind of, just kind of chilling in. For a while, I was like, Who is this young girl walking in there with all that energy, man? Oh, with a little little dark glasses, with a little kind of swagger. Cool. The sun is out Did you see that? No, you didn't see it. I saw it, right? There's a swagger that's walking in there. I say it's a Caribbean thing, man. (laughs) Hey, guys, what I'm going to do, I'm going to bypass last week's review. Because I just want to read one scripture this morning and um, hope you get some points out of this. Last week's review, it's important, it's critical, it, um, on the PowerPoint. Uh, we expanded on some of the concepts, so, so we won't do that today. I want to read one scripture. We're still in the issue of transition. But I want you to read this and tell me what you hear. And apart from telling me what you hear... I want to identify some really, really critical principles inside of it. I'm in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Listen to this. Tell me what you hear. I'm going to get to the first. Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'm going to read from um, verse 10. Listen. Listen. Pay attention to this. Because I am... Remember, we've been talking about transitioning and leaving what is behind and moving dynamically to what is ahead. We talked about what we call the pull factor, that all transitions will have a pull factor and a push factor, that when you are negotiating life, whatever it might be, whether it be church life, whether it be business, whether it be personal life, there must always be that pull factor, something that you identify, that you are going towards, that informs all aspect of your drive, your tenacity, your focus, your relationships, the pull factor. So if you are studying and you are focused on, let's say, a PhD or a master's, there's something called the pull factor. And the pull factor is what determines the discipline, how much hours you put in, the, 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 the friends that you have around you, the, the whatever social interaction you may have, and how long. Those social interactions may last. The pull factor. But listen to this. Verse 10. For the land that you go to possess, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. First point that you understand there is that all transitions must bring you to a place that bears no resemblance to where you came from. First point, every single dynamic act of transition must bring you to a place that bears no resemblance to the place from which you came. Not only that, but if you realize the Bible has this unique thing that it is not only the place that changes, but the person changes. Put it this way, transitions may begin with Abram. Abram left Mesopotamia abraham arrived in the land in other words the person changes as well because what you don't want is to stay as you've always been and arrive in a place that you've never gone to what happens is that it's only a moment of time before the new environment takes on the character of your unchained self are you understanding me let me say that again it is not just arrive it is not not just a matter of arriving in a new place but being a new person let me give you another example salvation is a process that is designed to make you fit for an eternity that you will eventually live in salvation is not just a religious experience that makes you sing songs in church it it puts you in readiness for an eternity that you will get to in other words the process of salvation or to make you ready to arrive in a place that you will eventually go to. So, salvation, therefore, put it this way. Eternity, or let's say heaven. Heaven is a place that has no sin. The process of salvation is to make you sinless. Heaven is a place that has no prejudice. The process of salvation is to, arrive, is to make you live without prejudice. Whatever eternity is, the process of salvation makes you ready to live there. You follow me? Are you understand? And so all transitions, whether it be a business, whether it be a church, whether it be personal, whether it be academic, all transitions will bring you to a place that bears no resemblance to where you came from. Now, again, do you understand that you could move out of a house in Niagara Falls? And you can move to a house in Lewistown. The architecture, the design, everything may be the same. When I talk about it, there's no resemblance. I'm not talking about physical infrastructure. I'm talking about what happens inside of you as you arrive in that new state, how you perceive your new environment, what do you want that new environment, new, that new environment to be. Now, if that dynamic doesn't occur inside of your heart, then you are not in a transition, you are merely taking a walk. You're not in a transition, you're merely taking a walk. Because the process ought to change you. In other words, if you sit in this church and your idea of transition is that we're going to uproot who we are and arrive in a new place and just continue to be what we used to be, that's not transition, that's relocation. (laughs) That's relocation. We can take everything about this current group and go next door and do everything that we've done here and you think you've transitioned. No, you've just relocated. (laughs) That's all you've done. Right? So, the land that you are going to possess, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came. Now, in that particular scripture, do not define Egypt as a place of sin. Egypt just represents your previous location. Where you were before. What defined you? Because Egypt defined everything about these Jews. They were (laughs) brickmakers. We sometimes tend to forget forget that. that Everybody who came out of Egypt, they all had the same skill. Aaron was a brickmaker just like Bezalel. They all had the same skill. (laughs) But do you understand that, that Something about the process almost like awakens giftings and competencies that you never knew existed. How many of you would have known that Bizalil, who was a brickmaker like everybody else, had the ability to build a tabernacle? Nobody would have thought that this guy had the ability to be skilled in gold and needlework and mosaics and tapestry. But that guy was building brick. So when it says that The land that you are going to possess, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where your life was static, one-dimensional. No skill, no competencies, no giftedness. Static and one-dimensional, almost like a cartoon character. The land that you are going to possess is not like what you came from. And so if you have to think about it, then If this church is to genuinely go through an evolutionary process, then something inside of you almost like must disregard what you used to be because it does not reflect what you want to become. Are you understanding? (laughs) The land that you are going to possess, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came. Let me say it again. The land that you are going to possess, this is not like the land of Egypt from which you came. Do you understand that first point? Yes, sir. Anyone wants to add a point to that, a contribution to that? You want to, you want to amend that, reject that? Tell me, what did you hear in that? Anyone? Are oh, we good? we cool. Yes. Huh? We could go on. Cool is a fan, right, cool. <laughs> on to the next point. Let's do it again. Let me read it again. For the land of Egypt, from the land that you are going to possess... Uh iPad just kind of go gone blank. It is not like the land of Egypt from which you came. I'm in verse 10 still, right? Where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. There's another important point. Observe the analogy. The land that you are going to possess is not like the land of Egypt where you sowed your seed by foot and watered it as a vegetable garden. That speaks to the smallness of your ambition, the smallness of your pursuit, the smallness of your vision, the smallness of your dream. It's not only small, but it's selfish. How many of you ever had a vegetable garden? It's in your backyard, a little thing there. How many of you ever had a vegetable garden to feed your neighbor, your friends, your family, your enemies, the person across the street and whatever else. Very seldom do you ever build a vegetable garden with everybody in mind. It's selfish. The land that you are going to possess is not like the the land of Egypt from which you came, where you sowed your seed by foot and watered it as a vegetable garden. Your little vegetable garden, you kind of go there, you tend it, and you. very often, for some people, it's therapy. My vegetable garden is for therapy. All selfish. You know, I need to kind of touch the earth a little bit and um, kind of not be so lazy because you know my old kind of creaky limbs need to kind of bend a little and do my little thing there. And so, all selfish. And the concept back in those days is that you literally would kind of when you say sowed your feet, sowed your seed, you kind of dug a hole with your feet and drop a hole, drop the seed. You sowed your seed by foot and watered it as a vegetable garden. Next point is this. If the, if the field is small, all you need is a water can. It's a vegetable garden. You watered it as a vegetable garden. You kind of have a little water can and you kind of sprinkle that because it's small. Do you understand? If the, if the bigness of your dreams happens to be equivalent to a vegetable garden, all you need is water can praying. Not, nothing too big. Just enough to sustain the smallness of your world. If the bigness of your dream is a vegetable garden, all you need is water can giving, water can discipline. Everything is small, commensurate to the size of your dreams. And that is allowed. (laughs) I go to church whenever I want because I just have a water can dream. Or rather, a vegetable garden mindset. And that could easily be sustained by a water can operation. Are you following me? Vegetable garden equals water can behavior. And sometimes you have to understand that I have learned in reading people and in dealing with people to understand where they're located. Because some people, I don't care how much they talk and they try to flatter you, they live with a vegetable garden mentality, and with that you could understand the water can perspective that they possess. Once, once you read them, you understand them. It's like, man, I've got big dreams. I'm going to take over the world. Yeah, but everything about your mindset is water can in nature. The discipline, the application, the focus, the drive, water can. I've been with you now for 11 weeks. And for 11 weeks, I've never seen you as 21 people in this building. I've never related to you as 21 people in this building. The discipline I applied, it's I'm talking to thousands. I've never once used tiredness as an excuse not to apply myself. I've come here, prepared every Sunday morning to give you more than what I present to you. Very often, I have a presentation that has about 22 slides And all I've done is two. I've always been here thoroughly prepared. Thoroughly prepared. I spent countless hours applying myself, thinking, reading, musing, talking to God, because I don't live with a water can mentality, because my dreams and my vision It is not kitchen garden in terms of i just want to have a small church in a back alley in niagara falls sufficient for me to have a steak once a week i don't care about a steak once a week the dreams that god put in my heart it is not so configured that i am driven by a selfish ambition as a matter of fact you've heard me say before to my own hurt I'll do it right. The land that you are going to possess, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you sowed your seed by foot and watered it as a vegetable garden. It is so small, it is so selfish-driven. It is driven by ambition. It is all designed to be uh, for your own benefit. Every aspect of it is designed for you to enrich yourself off of and feed yourself off of it because it's a vegetable garden. It's for you and you alone. And once you have a vegetable garden, all you need is a water can mindset. Take your small little prayer, Lord bless the house today in the name of Jesus, amen. I don't do that for you, man. Water can. Okay? We pause again. Any questions? any feedback, any interjection, any rejection. You know, we have a little dialogue going here, right? Or this is me talking to you. (laughs) On to my next point. Let me read it again. For the land that you are going to possess, it is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed by foot and watered it as a vegetable garden. This is the part that's interesting. But the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks water from the rain of heaven. In other words, listen, <laughs> put it this way, put it, let me put it this way. A couple of things inside of there. The land that you observe, I like the use of the term there, the land that you cross over to possess. Let's say together, you have to do what? Cross over. Cross over. It is not just, you have to cross over in your mindset. You have to cross over in your perspective, in your worldview, in your sight of God, in your sight of one another. Those things are critical, huh? Because I promise you, the reason why, even in the cross here, is I linked the issue. You cannot say you love God and hate your brother. You can't do that. And when I say your brother, I'm talking about your brother in every sense of the word. I keep, I've been stressing this. You cannot be an ethnocentric church. You cannot be a white church. That is an indictment on everything that is godly. And if you say, well, I go to the white church down the street, listen, you're an insult to the purpose of God. You have sidestepped the principles of the kingdom. You cannot be a white church. You cannot be a black church. Something in your heart must yearn for something that truly resembles the character of God and the character of eternity. All tribes and kindred and tongue Something inform- that informs you where you live, right? The land that you are at, to me, the land that you cross over to possess. You got to cross over. And cross over means that you've abandoned one thing, and you've stepped into another. You understand me? You've abandoned one and you've stepped into another. The land that you are crossing over to possess. You have to abandon one and enter into another. And you can't be loyal to the one that you were in before. You can't be loyal to what you were in before. Transition requires a radical crossover. The land that you are crossing over to possess. Because um, you won't possess it if you're still doing what I call the rocking chair. You know, you ain't crossing over. It's kind of nice there, but I like it here. It's cool there, but I like it here. Oh, I love the preaching, but I like it here. I love the teaching, but I like it here. There's no possession in that rocking chair. (laughs) You can rock all you like, man. It's a nice rhythm, but you ain't getting nothing. (laughs) A nice rhythm, but you get nothing. You have to abandon one to step into the other in order to possess. That's why God treated Israel like that. For For him to bring them into the inheritance, he had to pass them through a Red Sea. That is God deliberately designing a crossover exercise for them to get into the promised land after they have to cross the Jordan. God creating the dynamic that cuts off the opportunity for them to go back. Because God basically says, I'm not going to give you a rock and share opportunity. You ain't going to do that. You ain't going to waste my time. <laughs> you follow me? The land that you cross over to possess. This is the point you have to get now. It's a land of hills and valleys. The topography is different. It's too vast, too broad, too wide, too enormous. And that's important because you have to understand what God is saying to Israel is that, listen, I'm going to take you out of your smallness and bring you into enormity. I'm going to take you out of your littleness and bring you into vastness. I'm going to take you out of your kitchen garden world and bring you into a multi-dimensional topography you follow me now take that for your personal life listen whatever i am in right now it's small i want hills and valleys the topography is different not this little kitchen garden he said once you step into hills and valleys world you need god brother i'll tell you why i'll tell you why try to take your kitchen try to take your water can to water a hills and valleys you're gonna burn yourself out you will kill yourself in the process and you will compromise your harvest so while you're taking your small water can mindset into hills and valleys listen that thing is so vast your water here and you say oh my god oh that is in front of me <laughs> So you go back your water can. Oh, good heavens! All of that, and and you suddenly realize that all of your efforts. So after you worked and worked and worked and toiled and toiled, you cover that ground, and all of that is ahead of you. That is enough to frustrate you, brother. At that point, if God does not come down on your behalf, your whole transition process constitutes a false dawn. What is a false dawn? That is that is uh, an exercise of enormous promise that is quickly aborted. That's a false dawn. An exercise of enormous promise that is quickly aborted. You cannot design a transition where you want to enter into a broader dimension in God, but you want to sustain it by your water can mindset that was appropriate for your yesterday. Your definition of prayer is like, well, God, you know, my son, my daughter, my catfish, my goldfish. Keep us safe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, my wife, give us money to buy a steak this weekend. Put gas in the car and we be good. <laughs> no, man, you're, you begin to think about, listen, my brothers in Ukraine, not just from a religious posturing, but your heart goes out. Your heart rips apart, brokenness becomes not someone, not you know why you know, hallelujah, you know. I read about it and I was so broken last night. <laughs> I was so broken, you know. Our brothers in Ukraine, I'm so broken. Something about it consumes your your energies. You think about it, you muse over it, you roll in your bed and you can't sleep, you get up and you talk to God again. You're trying to design ways in your mind how quickly you could mobilize resources to help them. You can't live in a selfish world, man when stuff like that is happening in the world. You are so consumed with paying your bills and just meeting your own personal needs and living in your nice American comfort zone. I'm bringing it into a world of hills and valleys. It drinks water from the rain of heaven. And when you step into that world, that's where your prayer becomes real because you know that that world cannot be sustained by my energy is in that zone, worship becomes real because that world cannot be sustained by my enthusiasm. It cannot be sustained by my discipline. It cannot be sustained by my focus. It cannot be sustained by my enthusiasm. It cannot be sustained by my charisma. Those things suddenly become spasms. What you want is something that is more sus- consistent. It can't be sustained by spasms. You can no longer boast about, well, you know, I apply myself. Yes, please continue to apply yourself. But in all of your application, you have to identify and recognize the limitations of your own discipline. God must show up. The world that you are crossing over to possess is a world of hills and valleys. The topography, the landscape, it's a broad, enormous vista not that small little religious nonsense that we've grown accustomed to that is too fixated on ourselves that is not our level <laughs> right let me hear what you have to say guys comments feedback interjection and when we have when we done that I have one more thing to tell you deep you like it i like that man once you like it, we good. we good. Anyone else? What did you hear? Very understandable. Very understandable. Lovely. I like that. Good to have you this morning. Thank you. First time you're here, right? Yes. Yeah, come, and ho- come and holler at us again, right? Come check us out. Yes. Okay. Very understandable. What else do you have to say? Anyone else? What did you hear? What did you hear? It's convicting. It's convicting. Isn't it though? It's convicting because you don't even yes, realize right. that you've been low to sleep. <laughs> and, uh, you know, make more. Yeah, that's good, it's convicting because, I mean, Mary's, Mary said that, that it's, 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 um, it's convicting because we have grown accustomed to almost kind of lulling in the lap of luxury or whatever else and never really looking at the, the bigger picture. That's good. Yep. Yeah, Ron. You said the, uh, the land you're going to is not like the place you left. Yes. But also, you will not be like you were in the place yeah. you left. That's right. You won't be like you that person. You must change. Beautiful. Or you'll go back. Or, to, it sounds like a trite little statement, but if you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. Right. That's true. And that's the truth because the reality is that, listen, they said, they said if you do the same thing yet you expect a different result, that's an exercise in insanity. You are a candidate for a padded room and a straight jacket. You're mad. You are mad. You are the ideal candidate for a padded room and a straight jacket. You're mad. Good. Yeah, there you go. Anyone else? Anyone else? Yes, sir. Whatever you focus on, that's going to guide your behavior. Beautiful. So if you're focused towards the promised land, you're going to be working towards getting to that promise land. Right. Right. That, that's, a, that's a truth principle about focus. They, they, they said almost like, um, have you recognized that um, if you get hungry and you are completely fixated on having a meal, nothing satisfies it. It's as though all of your energies are consumed in addressing that need. If, however, you are hungry and you say, you know what, um, I could deal with this in the next hour. It's as though your entire system almost relaxes and assumes that okay, we're gonna wait. (laughs) But once you put all of your focus into something, your body, all of your hormones, everything about you, almost like like gets focused on the thing that you put in front of your gaze, and that's the truth. God, right? That's good. It's it's it's, it's two things as well because it seems like um the purpose of God is like uh it's like walking down into an ever-expanding path. Because the truth is that we don't always see as enormous as the picture that there is, you know. We see, basically, what is immediately in front of our gaze. So even if I am to see as far as, let's say, David is to the back there, as far as my gaze will take me, it is my ability to cover this ground that allows me to see beyond where David is at. But the problem is that we sometimes stand in a state of paralysis and uh, are either we want to see as much, as much as possible, even though we're not ready for the more. But we want to see more out of just raw human appetite. Or we, we, we are so comfortable where we are that we're not prepared to do anything more. It's as though we, we will prefer not having seen anything at all. Because once you see then there is a demand on you to act, think, and behave differently. And so for most people, they will prefer not to see. they prefer not to see. Because in that context, um, truth is an indictment on your, on, on, your, on your indiscipline. And that's the problem. People don't want to see. In other words, God, we, we could probably wonderful prayer. As I've always said, huh? Have you recognized that people who have nothing are always willing to give God everything? <laughs> and the moment they have something, then they limit God to 10%. When they have nothing, God will give you everything. Everything. My life is all yours. Everything I own is yours. And God says, but <laughs> you have nothing. You come into something, God i will give you 10%. And I believe I really did you a favor by giving you a tithe. Good. I totally agree. Very good interjection. Philippines. So, and how long have you been here now? Uh, Three, years. Three years. Okay, do you still cook some nice pork medino? Medino? Mad- no. Okay. So, <laughs> no more. Good. Somebody will ask me that you the Filipino things. I've been Filipino since first. Okay, now you're on a- <laughs> <laughs> because I am here, I yep. have to struggle first, but what I can do it is S to S. That's right. Very good. Very, <laughs> very, very, not rocking chair, I like, like that. Maybe something to it that I like that maybe not that I found here. Moringa. Okay. Good analogy. Beautiful. Beautiful. I think we understood this morning, right? Be clear. Anything else, Bill? You want to say something? I saw you standing there. Do so you want to interject? Just uh, Philippians 2.12 work out your, your salvation. In fear and trembling. and trembling. You know, a lot of times we think that accepting Jesus is your salvation. It's mm. the beginning of the process. Right. Yeah. That's right, man. Very good. Yes, please. <laughs> you coming to the front line? you're going to preach. Come on. <laughs> The yes. John three sixteen says, "For God so loved the world, Come on, let me find it. Yeah, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish." You got it. Uh, where is let me help you. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there we go. You got it. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that He gave His only, only Son. For soever who believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Mm-hmm. And this is what it says in the Bible. If people want to stop the, the hatred, the pain, the anguish, the hurtness, get your Bible and read. Beautiful. That's right. Get your Bible and read. It's important that you read your Bible and learn. Without God, he, we are nothing without him
1: good amen amen,
0: amen. Up, come on one second one second up top up top up, up, up good <laughs> <laughs> lovely <laughs> lovely all right guys i think that um that really covers um um this particular presentation this morning